Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to look at Acts chapter... Now, so what we're doing for the next several weeks is we're going to be talking about 40 days with Jesus. Remember that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection, prior to his ascension, and that was a very important time that he spent with his disciples. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And uh, we read this last week, but let's read it again tonight to kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about tonight. So in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples following his resurrection. And remember, he was doing uh, three things during, the, during those 40 days. So Don, next slide. During the 40 days after his resurrection and prior to his ascension, Jesus wanted to impart three things. Remember, we talked about this last week. Three things to his disciples. Number one, he wanted to impart to them proof of his resurrection. He wanted them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he was raised from the dead. Not just an apparition, not just a spirit, but that he wanted them to know bodily that he was raised from the dead. And so Acts says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many convincing proofs. So he spent 40 days proving his resurrection. Second thing that he wanted to do was he wanted to impart to them a proficiency with the gospel. So after he spent 40 days with them speaking to them, Acts says, about the kingdom of God. So he explained the scriptures to him. Remember, we talked briefly about that, his appearance to the disciples on the Emmaus road. He started in the scriptures and he explained why the Messiah had to die. And so he opened up the scriptures to them so that they would understand the gospel because he wanted them to be proficient with the gospel, to be able to tell others about the good news and lead them to salvation. So second thing he wanted to impart to them was proficiency with the gospel. And then the third thing that he wanted to impart to them during that 40-day period was the promise of the Holy Spirit. So he said, so don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait here, remain in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. So he commanded them, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, stay here, wait for the promise of the Spirit. Because remember, he said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses, right? And so during those 40 days, Jesus was imparting these three things to them. 
and these were necessary for them so that they would be witnesses, so that they could become his witnesses. And so, therefore, they remain important to us also. Because as the choir uh, reminded us when they did their Easter program, we are witnesses also. We, we have been called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So these three things remain very important to us if we want to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. So over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to revisit these issues. We're going to spend some time talking about each one of them during these 40 days or 50 days as it may be. Uh, because there was 10 days after the 40 days that the disciples prayed and waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to revisit these issues. We're going to be reminded of them. And we're going to begin tonight and uh, next week also talking about, next slide uh, there, uh, Don, if you don't mind, beginning with, we're going to begin with the proof of his resurrection, the proof of his resurrection, Okay. So uh, go ahead and advance, uh, Don, if you don't mind, the proof of his resurrection. I want to First, I want to talk to you tonight about, um, well, three things, really. I want to make three points about the proof of his resurrection. Number one, that the resurrection is a critical issue for each one of us. Okay, we'll talk about that first, and then we're going to talk about that the resurrection is a claim from history. And third, that the resurrection is a, uh, we're going to build a compelling case for the resurrection. But let's talk about the first one that the resurrection is a critical issue for us. Listen, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read some of this last week, uh, but I want to read it again tonight and, and to be reminded of how critical this issue of resurrection is for us because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 12, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the resurrection, and I mentioned this last week, is a critical issue for us as, as believers. If Paul says if Christ is not, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Then, you know, what I'm doing tonight, what we're doing here tonight makes no difference if Christ has not been raised. Number two, then our faith is in vain. Then we are, we are still powerless and we are still in our sins if Christ has not been raised. Number three, if Christ has not been raised, then death is final. That when we die, it ends life and we have no hope of eternity with God. Each and every one of us are condemned to an eternity separated from God if Christ 
is not been raised. Number four, if Christ has not been raised, then our life is futile. All of life is futile. It's empty. It's, our life is meaningless. It has no point if Christ has not been raised. And finally, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then we of all people, Christians of all people, are to be pitied because we're just living a lie. We're preaching a lie. We have no hope. We're just fooling ourselves. And so Paul emphasizes the fact that the resurrection is a critical issue for us as believers. But he concludes, so he, he says, if Christ is not raised, then we are of all people most pitiful. But he concludes, but Christ is raised. Can you say amen? Christ is raised. Thank God. And, if, and here's the thing. If Christ is raised, if Christ rose, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then how many knows that changes everything? Every, not just for us as believers, but it changes everything everything uh, in, in the world. Either, uh, here's the point, either Jesus Christ rose from the dead confirming his claims about his divinity, that he was a son, that he is a son of God, or he is a fraud. I mean, those are the two choices. Either if he's not raised, then he was a fraud because he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that he would rise from the dead. So if he did not rise from the dead, he was a fraud. Our faith is futile. It's meaningless. But if Christ rose from the dead, then it confirms everything that he said. It confirms that he is the Son of God. And so the resurrection is the critical issue of our faith. In fact, I've included uh, on the next slide, a quote from Timothy Keller. Timothy Keller said, you might not be able to read that, but here's what he says. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's the critical issue, is whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So the resurrection is critical to our faith. It's critical to our witness uh, to the world, the preaching of the gospel, which is why Jesus wanted his disciples to be absolutely certain of his resurrection. Why he wanted to give them many convincing proofs that he was uh, risen from the dead. So for the same reason, we need to be convinced of his, of his resurrection, and we need to be prepared to convince others and to give a defense of the resurrection to others as, as well. The difficulty in, in uh, convincing people of the resurrection is that um, skeptics insist that the resurrection can only be defended as a as an article of faith. They, they might say something like this, well, I, I respect that that's what you believe, but that's not uh, what I believe. However, um, the resurrection is not merely an article of faith, 
The, the resurrection is, in fact, what distinguishes Christianity from, from so many other religions, and that is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, in fact, a historical fact. The resurrection, the next uh, slide there, Don, the, the resurrection is actually a claim about something that actually happened in, in history. So it's not just saying, hey, I believe the resurrection because the Bible says it. Uh, the resurrection is something that we ought to be able to look at in history and, and be able to reliably uh, deduce that the resurrection was something that actually took place. Because if it took place, then that changes everything. You have to believe what Jesus Christ has said. If it didn't take place, then you don't have to accept anything that Jesus taught. So the resurrection is actually a claim about a real historical event. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? So it is a historical claim that we can, that we can actually investigate on the basis of historical criticism and, and not merely refer to it as an article of faith. It is an article of faith, but, but it's more than that. It's a belief that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. Now, most skeptics won't accept something that you say simply because, simply if you say, well, we believe that because the Bible says so. I mean, that's good enough for me. If the Bible says it, it's good enough for me. Amen. Is it good enough for you tonight if the Bible says it? Absolutely, because we believe in the inspiration uh, of, the, of the Word of God. But that might not cut it for a, a skeptic. Um, so they may not accept something if you say, well, I believe it just because the Bible says so. However, most scholars will grant that some of what is in the Bible is true because the Bible is an ancient text. It is actually a, a historical um, document. So, so when we're addressing skepticism about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't have to avoid using the New Testament to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, we must approach the New Testament as they would, which is as an ancient historical text that there is information in here that they would agree with. Now, I know that sounds controversial to us as believers because we're, we're conditioned. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, and so we're going to accept anything, everything uh, that it says. So we consider the, the resurrection to be factual and that, because the Bible does say it. However, we need to be prepared to speak to skeptics who we can convince that the resurrection is an actual historical event. And so uh, when we investigate the resurrection as a historical claim, what we'll see as believers is that it will confirm our confidence in the resurrection, but also we might be able to convince skeptics that the resurrection actually took place. So the question then for us tonight is, can we actually prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can we actually prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, here's the thing when it comes to his proving historical events. 
the next slide has a quote from Gary Habermas who says, when it comes to history, we can only speak of probability, not 100% certainty. So any, here's the thing, any historical event is difficult to prove any historical event with 100% certainty. I mean, if you think about it tonight, how can, can you prove that George Washington existed and that he was the first president of the United States of America? No, I mean, we don't have proof that George Washington exists. What, we have to do what? We have to rely on historical documents. We have to rely on the witness of others. We have to rely on the testimony of others. We have to rely on history. And so we can say tonight that we, that we have reliable evidence that George Washington actually existed and that he was the first president of the United States. Amen? I, some of y'all are looking at me like, are you saying George Washington never really? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we can't prove 100% tonight. We can't prove that he existed. But we can say, hey, we're, there's reliable evidence, and we're convinced there's enough evidence that we're convinced George Washington existed. He's the first president of the United States. So when it comes to history, it's difficult to prove an event 100%, but we can talk about reliability. We can be reliably convinced that an event took place and that something happened. So there will always be faith required to overcome some degree of uncertainty about historical events or anything that you choose uh, to believe. Colin Powell, I remember listening to Colin Powell one time, they were talking about making decisions, and he said, you know, about any issue about any decision about any matter he says you will never have 100 percent of the data on anything he said you'll never have 100 he said but you've got to make decisions and he said and you know for me 75 percent of the data or 80 percent of the data was enough for me to make a reliable decision about any issue or any or any matter so we'll never have 100% of the data, but we can have enough information to be reliably convinced of the reality of a, of a situation. So the issue as it relates to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not whether we can prove with 100% certainty, um, because we can't even prove with 100% certainty that that George Washington ever existed. But the issue is whether or not you can know with reliable certainty that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead after you examine the historical evidence. So we're going to apply some historical analysis to the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And so before we do that, let me list very quickly five principles that, um, that apply to any investigative inquiry. If you're looking into any event, any testimony about any event, number one, multiple independent sources, um, it, multiple independent sources support the claim. So the more, the more independent sources you have testifying about an event, the more reliable the, 
you have, the information that you have, that it actually happened. Number two, hostile attestation supports the claim. So in other words, if you have even people that were hostile to uh, their view, the viewpoint or what took place, if, if they admit uh, the evidence, then that's a strong claim for the reliability of the event. Number three, embarrassing admissions support the claim. So even if you have somebody that's testifying for the event, but they have to make some kind of a, a, embarrassing admission in, in the course of testifying about the event, then you can, you can say, well, that testimony is probably more true because nobody wants to admit bad things, but if they're willing to admit something bad to give a testimony, then it's, it's more credible testimony. Number four, eyewitness testimony supports the claim. So eyewitness testimony is always better than secondhand uh, testimony. And number five, Early accounts of the event are better. They support the claim better than somebody who is writing about it, talking about it 100 years later, 300 years later, or sometime after. So those are five principles that, that we'll see as we're going through some of these facts tonight that apply to help substantiate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you apply these criteria to the evidence that we're going to look at in just one second, uh, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ seems um, extremely re reasonable. So number three, the third thing we're going to talk about tonight, now we're going to build the case. The resurrection is a compelling case. And so we're going to make a compelling case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to do that, next slide, Don, we're going to use, to build our case, we're going to use what is called the minimal facts approach. The minimal facts approach. Let me explain that. The minimal facts approach is that we're going to only consider the data about the resurrection that is strongly attested to historically. In other words, it has strong historical attestation. And number two, it is accepted by nearly all scholars. Okay? So the data that we're going to talk about has multiple attestation, and it's agreed upon even by liberal scholars, even by secular historians, they would accept this data, and they would say, you know, yeah, that's probably true. That actually probably, probably happened, all right? So, again, this approach does not require a person to believe in the inspiration of Scripture. We certainly do, but it doesn't require a person to believe in the inspiration of Scripture. Um, they only have to look at the Bible as a historical uh, document, okay, because it's only relying on the minimum facts that most scholars, even skeptics, will allow. And so the theory then that will accommodate these minimal facts is, is probably the best theory uh, to accept concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about five of those facts tonight. There's as many as 12, but there are five historical facts, historical facts about the resurrection that have strong historical attestation, and generally most scholars, if not all scholars, agree to all of these five facts about uh, the resurrection. So we're going to 
We're going to try to move through these as quickly as possible, okay? Number one, fact number one. And with these five facts, we can build a strong case for the resurrection. Number one, fact number one, Jesus Christ died by crucifixion. Uh, Almost no one doubts any serious historical scholar, no one doubts that there was a man named Jesus Christ and he was crucified by the Romans. That is a strong, it's probably the strongest historical fact uh, of, of the five. In fact, um, fact number one, Jesus Christ was crucified, died by crucifixion, is attested to by, of course, I think it's the next slide, Don, is attested to, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Again, you don't have to believe that they're inspired to, to admit that there are historical documents. So it's attested to by all four Gospels. It's attested to by Josephus, who is a Jewish historian. It is attested to by Tacitus, who is a Roman historian. It is attested to by Lucian of Samosata, uh, who is a Greek writer. It is attested to by Mara Bar Serapion, who is a Syrian philosopher, and it is attested to, no less, by the Talmud, which is a Jewish, basically it's like a Jewish commentary on the law and on uh, Jewish faith. So it has, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ has multiple attestation, and it's doubted hardly by anybody that it actually occurred. In fact, John, I think, uh, John Dominic Crossan, who is actually a highly critical scholar, says this about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He says that he, that is Jesus, was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. So in, in antiquity, it's about as sure as a thing as you can, you can be sure of anything ever happening in ancient history is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Fact number two. Uh, fact number two is that Jesus' disciples believe that he rose from the dead and that he appeared to them. Fact number two is that Jesus' disciples believe that he rose and that he appeared to them. Now, two points need to be made about this fact number two, and that is that number one, they claimed that they saw Jesus, and then number two, uh, that they demonstrated that they had a sincere belief that he died, that he was, had risen again. Now, there, so let's talk about each one of those. Next slide, Don, I think. Uh, their, their claims that they saw Jesus, not just an apparition, but that they saw Jesus are corroborated in nine different historical sources. Number one, the Apostle Paul. When he's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and also in Galatians, he talks about the fact that he went to Jerusalem, met with the apostles, and he heard from them that they had seen the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus Christ. They had seen Jesus just as he had seen them. Number two, early church creeds recorded the testimony of the disciples that they had seen Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Number three, early recorded sermons of the disciples, such as in the book of Acts, recorded their witness that they had seen 
the resurrection, uh, the resurrected Christ, and that they had not only seen him, but they had touched him, and that they had that they had handled him. Um, the Gospels, again, uh, are a historical document in which the disciples claim that they saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And then finally, there are multiple apostolic fathers that knew, this is interesting, uh, we can spend a lot of time, we're not going to, but there's several apostolic fathers that wrote in like the second century, first century, second century, that actually knew the apostles, and in some of their writings are recorded that they knew firsthand, again, a secondhand testimony, but they knew they had talked with the apostles, and the apostles bore witness to them personally that they had seen Jesus. Right? So it's undeniable that the disciples claimed that they had seen Jesus Christ. And this was not just a claim, but it, and here's the second issue about this second fact, and that is that they believed it. It wasn't that they just were making a claim about it. They believed it. How do we know that they sincerely believed it? Because they were willing to die for it. They risked their life because of their testimony. That's the next slide, I believe, Don. They believed it. That, it, that means that they suffered for their testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And seven separate sources attest to the suffering of the disciples. Luke in the book of Acts, Clement of Rome, talks about the suffering of the disciples, Polycarp, Ignatius, Dionysus, uh, in the historian Eusebius, Tertullian, Origen, all of these um, bear witness to the fact that the disciples suffered and died, most of them, many of them martyrs' death because they believed that they had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. Chuck Colson, I don't know if you're familiar with Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was... Um, was a Christian, became a Christian as a result of the Watergate scandal. And Chuck Colson once said this. He said, I know that the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. He said, you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So fact number two, the disciples claimed to have seen Jesus, and they believed it sincerely, believed it enough that they were willing to give their life for it. Fact number three, the church persecutor Paul was suddenly changed after he claimed to have visitation from the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul, we know, was an enemy of the church when he claimed to, be, to have been visited by the risen Christ. And like the other apostles, he was willing to suffer for his belief in the resurrection. Next slide, we have multiple firsthand testimony of Paul's dramatic conversion. We have Paul's own testimony about his conversion. Then we have Luke's testimony about it in the book of Acts. And then we have the testimony of early Christians that's recorded in the book of Galatians where they said, 
Uh, we know this Paul. Here's what we know about Paul. We know that he was a persecutor of the church, but then he claimed to have seen Christ, and now he is a leader in the church. So we have multiple firsthand testimony of Paul's dramatic conversion. And then, next slide, we have multiple accounts of Paul's suffering and Paul's martyrdom because of his belief in the resurrection. Again, Paul gives us that testimony. Luke in the book of Acts, Clement, Polycarp, Tertullian, Dionysus in Eusebius, and, and Origen also. Each one of these testify to Paul's suffering and his martyrdom because of his belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fact number four, the skeptic James who was the brother of Jesus Christ, was also suddenly changed as a result of a visitation from the resurrected Jesus Christ. Here's what we know about James. First of all, we know that according to the Gospels, he was an unbeliever prior to the resurrection. Jesus' own family didn't accept him and didn't believe in him. And so the Gospels tell us that James, the brother of Jesus, how many knows it's hard to get respect from your own family, right? Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, didn't even believe in him uh, before the resurrection. But then number two, we know that the early creeds that are recorded in, in Corinthians chapter 15 indicate that Jesus made a special appearance. We talked about that last week that Jesus made a special appearance to James after the resurrection. And then after this appearance, number three, Paul and Luke both identified James as a leader in the church after this visitation. So he was convinced, changed by this visitation of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then number four, multiple sources, again, attest to the fact that James was martyred because of his belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, again, so we have uh, four convincing facts that point to the reality of, that, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But let's talk about one more, the fifth fact, and that is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Now, the empty tomb is a little bit different from the other four in that it's not agreed upon by all scholars. All of the other four are almost unanimously agreed, given. Even, even liberal scholars will say, yeah, we'll grant you that. That's true. Um, historically, that's true. Not all scholars agree on the empty tomb, but still a majority of scholars agree. Even liberal, even skeptics agree on the empty tomb. In fact, Habermas, who I've quoted a couple of times, has studied thousands of pages of literature on the resurrection and has discovered as a result of that that 75% of the scholars who write and talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 75% of the scholars agree, will admit um, this fact that there is an empty, an empty tomb. So it's not everybody, but 75% of scholars agree about the empty tomb. Let me make three points about the empty tomb that substantiate the story of the empty tomb. Number one is the Jerusalem factor. And, and that is the fact that if, if a body for Jesus Christ could have been produced, then it would have been produced in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not some backwater place where it would have been easy to hide a body 
or to pull off that kind of, uh, that kind of deception because uh, Jerusalem would have been a place that if there was any conceivable way that the, the, the religious hierarchy could have produced a body or have produced a story and said the disciples are lying about the empty tomb and here's how we know, uh, then, then it would have been impossible to pull off that kind of deception in Jerusalem. Number two, um, and the, the second point that substantiates the empty tomb is the enemy attestation. And that's the fact that even, even the enemies of Jesus Christ, even the opponents of the church had to conceive that there had to concede that there was an empty tomb. They, they concede. Remember we talked about the fact that if the enemy attests to something, then that makes the attestation even that much stronger. And so the enemy had to concede. The Jews even had to concede that there was an empty tomb. How, we know that they conceded that because why? They had to start making up stories for the empty tomb. They couldn't produce a body. They couldn't say, here's the body. This, they had to start making up stories to, to, talk, to, to explain why there was an empty tomb. So the enemy um, conceded that there was an empty tomb. And then number three, the third point that it substantiates the empty tomb is the testimony of women. Remember we said, and ladies, I'm sorry, all right, but remember we said that there was something embarrassing about the testimony that that, that substantiated the testimony? Well, the reality was the Gospels say that the first witnesses of the empty tomb were who? Women. And in that culture, women had very little legal standing at all to be able to give witness about, about anything. And so it was a little bit embarrassing that the Gospels had to concede that it, were, it was the women who first found the empty tomb and came back and told the disciples about the empty tomb. In fact, somebody has observed that if somebody, if, they, if the disciples were making up the story about the empty tomb, they certainly wouldn't have put women at the empty tomb first. They would have put Peter or John or somebody else there first. But the fact that they concede that it was women who first saw and first testified about the empty tomb substantiates the claim about the empty tomb. So, very quickly, let me summarize. We've got five facts. These are five, and again, these are not all of the facts about the resurrection. These are five minimal facts because there are five facts that have multiple attestation, historical attestation. And number two, they have almost unanimous agreement even among liberal scholars, skeptical scholars. These are five facts about the resurrection that even liberal scholars will concede about the resurrection, okay? We have, number one, that Jesus died by crucifixion, that number two, the disciples believed that he was raised from the dead. They claimed to have seen him and believed that he was raised from the dead. Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, was dramatically changed after he had a, a visitation from the resurrected Jesus Christ. Number four, James, the skeptic, became a church leader after he had a visitation from the resurrected Jesus Christ. And then number five, the tomb was empty. So all of these facts taken together strongly attest to the fact 
that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a, is a reliable historical uh, event. So what do these facts prove? Well, as I said, we cannot prove 100% uh, historical event. But this is what Habermas says. Let me read you this quote. Shortly after Jesus' death, his disciples believed that they saw him risen from the dead. They claimed that he had appeared to individuals among them as well as to several groups. Two of those who once viewed Jesus as a false prophet later believed that he appeared to them risen. Paul, the church persecutor, and James the skeptic, and Jesus' brother. Both of these became Christians as a result. Therefore, not only do we have the testimony of friends, we have also heard from one enemy of Christianity and one skeptic, and finally we have the empty tomb. And then I think this quote is on the last slide, Don, if you want to put it up. These facts point very strongly to Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which accounts for all five facts very nicely. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best possible explanation for all five of these facts which even liberal scholars will grant you and will say these five things are probably true. They're historical realities. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best explanation for all five of those things to being true. And again, you don't, you don't have to believe. We do, but you don't have to believe in the inspiration of Scripture to accept those five facts. All you have to do is look at the Bible with a historical critical eye, as, as liberal scholars do, and they concede those facts. And those five facts um, build a compelling case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do, do they answer every objection to the resurrection? No. Um, they don't preclude objections from people or opposing theories. But here's the thing, and here's, we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about some objections that people make and some opposition that people have uh, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Every, any opposing theory... Any objection that somebody has about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those objections and those opposing theories have to account for these five facts. And what we'll see is that the oppositions that people have, the, op the objections that people make about the resurrection of Jesus Christ run into some problems when compared to these five facts. The one explanation that all five of these facts accommodate and accommodate perfectly is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Something that we know to be true. Amen. Amen. But it's good that we can know, we, we can understand that our faith is not, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not simply an article of faith. When somebody says, well, I know you believe in the resurrection, that's, that's, but I don't believe that. We can say, no, it's not just that I believe it. I believe it because it's reasonably true. <laughs> that it, it is an actual historical event. That I'm not 
pulling that out of the sky somewhere, that Jesus Christ actually lived, that he was crucified, and that he was raised again. Because Paul said again, if that's not true, if it didn't actually happen, then our faith is futile. But it did happen. Amen? And we can be convinced of that and know, know uh, that, that it's historically reliable. And we can hopefully convince others and tell them that it's true as well. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the ability, Lord, not only just to read your word, but God, to find it there in your word, the proof, the data, the information that we need. Lord, not only to confirm what we already believe and what we already know to be true, but that, God, we can find the data and the information there that, Lord, possibly we can use to convince others about the fact that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Because, God, we want to be effective witnesses. We, we want to have the same kind of urgency, the same kind of boldness that those early disciples had and we know that that comes from knowing, from first of all, being convinced ourselves, Lord. And then, God, being driven to convince others and to tell others about the good news that, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So, God, empower us, enable us, God, to be your witnesses, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.